Hey, it's Jonas Knox. The best athletes don't just play the game, they change it. When it comes to investing, GameBridge is doing the same. Their online platform does things differently because it's designed to put you in charge of growing your own savings. It's intuitive, it's easy, and best of all, it's on your terms. No wonder GameBridge has earned the trust of 40% repeat customers. It's a better way to invest because it's investing your way. Get started today with as little as $1,000 at GameBridge.io. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Oh, oh. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Hi, this is Joshua David Stein, host of the Fatherly Podcast, the perfect podcast for the imperfect parent. Join us as we talk to dads like Ken Burns, Tom Colicchio, and John Legend about fatherhood. Listen free by searching for the Fatherly Podcast on iHeartRadio or wherever you subscribe to your favorite podcasts. Happy Friday, live from the Geico Outkick Studios. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote as well. Duralast batteries designed to stand up to even the most extreme weather conditions. They're built with patented technology to reduce damage due to vibration and deliver the most power during startup. They're proven tough and sold only at AutoZone. Get in the zone, AutoZone. Well, we're in the zone here and uh, we got a major, major fun show lined up for you. Lane Kiffin will be with us in hour three, and I think you guys are going to love that. My guy Lance Taylor will join us here in hour one to talk about all the big college football games uh, that are coming this weekend. And in hour two, uh, we should have a, uh, a good time talking with Dan Wetzel about the mess in China involving the Ball brothers and more. So I think you guys are going to enjoy uh, this show, and hopefully it'll get you rolling into your Friday morning. I want to thank all the veterans out there listening today. It is Veterans Day. We are observing it on Friday. Uh, and so uh, thank you all for your service and hope your day goes spectacularly well. Uh, I want to bounce right into the weekend to come in the NFL and college football, and we'll start with last night's game. Uh, was an, uh, I would say, ugly game, um, but a somewhat competitive one. Russell Wilson made just enough plays to get the Seahawks the win on the road against the Cardinals. 
but unfortunately for the Seahawks, they lost uh, Richard Sherman for the year to a torn Achilles, and that was the primary topic of discussion after the game. Here was Pete Carroll discussing that. Uh, he has been just a you know bastion of you know consistency and competitiveness and toughness and you know through all of the, you know, the stuff that you know we we worked through together and all of it. Uh, it's been awesome. You know it's been hard. It's been challenging. He's been an extraordinary, uh, um, almost iconic player. You know in, in this league, and uh, so he's going to have to sit. You know, you know, try not to go overboard on this. But I just that's just how I feel about it, and, and uh, um, we'll miss the heck out of him. And uh, he'll be with us. I know every step of the way when he can, and, and uh, but uh, we'll miss the heck out of him. Richard Sherman was asked about the injury after the game as well, and this is what he had to say. Yeah, I knew what, what, what was happening. I mean, it's bothered, been bothering me all season. So, you know, it's one of them things you just have to play through as long as you can. And then, you know, when it goes, it goes. Doctors have tried to talk me out of plan for years. You know, they tried to stop me many years, and they understand that, you know, I'm going to go out there and try to give do everything I can to tell my team. And, you know, it's not about anything but that. You know, it's just it's, I owe it to those guys and gave them everything I had. Richard Sherman now out for the year, joining a long, long list of prominent NFL players who have been injured and are now out for the year. Obviously, you guys know a lot of those, uh, a lot of those players, starting with Aaron Rodgers, Eric Berry, Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, you just run through the list of all the different guys that are out for the year. J.J. Watt, uh, that would be iconic names that most people would know almost on site or certainly recognize them. Uh, on the field in their jerseys, and uh, it has been a troubling and challenging year for the NFL as uh, many of the the fights that have existed in the NFL have, have broken out into public over the uh, anthem protest, the word now that Jerry Jones has fired off these threatening letters about whether or not Roger Goodell is, uh, is able to be extended on a contract, and uh, these battles are just going to continue to grow, I think, over the course of this season. Also, the ratings down substantially. And remember, these ratings are down substantially off of last year's first half of the season when the explanation for why ratings were down was all about the election going on. And then the NFL ratings did pick up in the second half of the season. So this year, they have got a lot of difficult comps to deal with And uh, I I just think there are a lot of challenges right now facing the NFL and, to be fair, facing the game of football in general. So that is the NFL. That game was played last night. I am actually more excited about college football this weekend because effectively we have two basic playoff games in November in college football and arguably three, uh, but certainly we have two. And let me explain what I'm thinking about. First of all, let's talk about Notre Dame going on the road against Miami. Whoever loses this game, certainly if that is the Notre Dame fighting Irish, they are out of the playoff race. So effectively for Notre Dame, tomorrow in, uh, in, in, down in, in Miami is effectively a playoff game. If the Notre Dame wins, they have a really good chance in two more playoff games against Navy and against Stanford of playing their way in to the four-team playoff. If they lose, they're out of the playoff. Now, Miami is maybe still alive even if they lose because if they won every other game and then came out and upset Clemson in the ACC title game, then Miami might still have a pretty, probably still has a pretty good chance of making the playoff. Obviously, they would be in line then behind Notre Dame and they would still need some chaos to happen. 
but that at least would still be a dream of the Hurricanes. Whereas for Notre Dame, this is a playoff game. If they lose, they're gone. The other game is a definite playoff game. TCU and Oklahoma, whoever loses that game is done. Whoever loses that game is out and has no chance to compete for the national title to make the playoff at all. Whoever wins advances and still needs to run the table from there, but TCU at Oklahoma is definitely a playoff game. And for Auburn hosting Georgia, Georgia could still make the playoff if they lose to Auburn and then come back and beat Kentucky and beat Georgia Tech and win the SEC title game against Alabama. 12-1 and Georgia as SEC champs would still be in. So this Auburn game is not a definite playoff game for them. It is for Auburn. Auburn's season is effectively over uh, in terms of competing for both the SEC West and competing for an SEC title, as well as an outside chance of running the table and making the playoff. So uh, as well, honestly, Georgia's chances of making the playoff would decline precipitously if they lose this game versus if they went out and are playing against Alabama in the SEC title game they would still have, the Bulldogs would, a pretty good shot of making the playoffs at 12-1, and even if they lost to Alabama in the SEC title game, particularly if that game ended up being competitive. So, there is much to look forward to if you are a college football fan. In Hour 3, I will give you out all of my gambling picks. I have got 12 of them, and I'm going to make you rich with all 12. We've got three straight winning weeks in the gambling picks. I'd encourage you guys to also watch. If you enjoy this show on Saturday mornings before college football kicks off. I do a pregame show around 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. on the East Coast that uh, will give you out a couple of more gambling tips and get you ready for the long, fun day of college football that we have set up. So all of that will be off and rolling in uh, the near future. want to remind you again, go download the podcast. Uh, make sure that you do. Millions of you are doing it every month now. It has become a a real success story. I appreciate all of you supporting OutKick on iTunes, Stitcher, everywhere else out there that you can find it. And I continue to reiterate because I continue to get messages about this. This show is now on all three hours on Sirius XM, uh, Sirius Channel 218, XM Channel 202. So if you're listening to this on podcast, you've been wondering where we are on satellite radio, you can find us on both of those stations if you will seek them out and uh, and get us programmed in. All right, up next, we're going to have Lance Taylor. He's at Jocks 94.5 in Birmingham. It's one of the biggest sports talk stations in the country. We'll break down all of the upcoming college football games, discuss which sides we like from a gambling perspective, and also spend some time on how impressive the Rams have been. Are they the story of the NFL so far? And how incredible has the job been that Sean McVay has done so far with the L.A. Rams. We'll dive into all of that and more up next as we get you ready for college football playoff weekend, effectively, as well as the big weekend coming up in the NFL. All of that next on OutKick, the coverage. Great news. There's a quick way you could save money. Switch to GEICO. Go to GEICO.com, and in 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance as well. With TrueCar, you can find out what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for and, on average, save over three grand off MSRP. Whether you're looking for a new or used car, visit TrueCar to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. 
Bring in now my guy Lance Taylor. Usually joins us every single Friday at the Lance Taylor on Twitter. He's at 94.5 Jocks down in Birmingham, one of the biggest, most powerful radio stations in the world of sports. And so, LT, I want to start with you. We got an incredible day of college football coming up tomorrow. Three top 10 games. I believe it's the first time in 15 years that we've had three top 10 games going on in the same weekend. Uh, I want you to rank the quality of the game, but I'm going to reiterate for everybody out there what these games are. Uh, TCU at Oklahoma. We've got Notre Dame at Miami, and we have got Georgia at Auburn. Rank those three games. If you could only watch one, you watch which one. What do you anticipate to see in order there in terms of the quality of the game? Okay, this is going to sound kind of homerish and like SEC affiliation, but Georgia and Auburn truly hate each other. I mean, it is the South's deepest rivalry. You know this. Um, So I've got to go one with Georgia-Auburn. Two, I'm actually going to go TCU-Oklahoma. Um, just because we can circle back around that. I've got a, a pretty good feel on that game. And then three, I'm going to go Notre Dame-Miami. I think all of them are, are can't-miss games, though. So I'm so, super excited about these games. So from a gambling perspective, what do you think is going to happen in all three? I'll tell you what I think. So I am on Oklahoma minus 6.5. I am on Georgia. I got them at minus 2. And I am on Notre Dame minus four. So or, or I got them at four. I think the line's three. So I'm on all three favorites. I think that all three favorites win. What say you? Uh, you are you are Mr. Public. Um, <laughs> here's the thing. Uh, look, and I've been awful this year because the public's had a really good year um, for the most part. Um, I, I tell you this. I love TCU. Love TCU. Now I can get them at seven. Um, so I feel really good about that. The other two games, I agree with you I test. Georgia, to me, is a better team than Auburn. But it's a tricky place to play in Jordan-Hare. It's an elite defense with Auburn. Jake Fromm is still a true freshman quarterback. Um, And I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on him because I think Michelle and Chubb are going to get slowed by this Auburn defense, and I think Chubb's going to have to make plays. So if you're telling me who's the better team, I will tell you it is Georgia. But based on the fact that I know all the public money is backing Georgia right now, I'm going to lean Auburn in that one. And the other one, uh, same thing. I don't think Miami's that good. And look, and everybody talked about them beating Virginia Tech up, and I had Miami against Virginia Tech this past week. Um, I think Rozier makes mistakes. Um, I can't believe the numbers that Miami offense um, through the air they've been able to put up. You know, Miami's been able to turn people over, but third down conversions offensively have been a big problem. And I think when you look at Mike Elko's defense, um, they've been rock solid in their ability to run the football. Notre Dame's the better team to me. That's the game that I would stay away from. Um, Miami is the, the play that Las Vegas will need because public is all over Notre Dame. I would stay away from that. I feel good about Auburn. I feel good about TCU. So one of us is going to have a good weekend. Clay. <laughs> Indeed. All right. So you're on the playoff committee. Who would your fourth team have been? Uh, you're talking about right now? Yeah, right now at this exact yeah, I moment. I think I would have to go Clemson. Um, in Notre Dame best to resume, uh, obviously Alabama and Georgia are there. I'm still going to go Clemson. Uh, Kelly Bryant probably had his worst game this past weekend against NC State, but look, the Wolfpack still a tough team, and that game's on the road in Raleigh, a game they were lucky to survive in Death Valley last year. Um, and, and, and probably, here would be a problem with me, and I don't know if this would um, be the same for you, Clay, but a lot of this is based on reputation, and Clemson, to me, is still your reigning national champions. And that's one of the reasons that, although Georgia has the better resume, I would have Alabama at number one right now, and probably a lot of this is just based on what Alabama's done under Nick Saban. My belief is that Baker Mayfield is the only quarterback good enough to beat Alabama in a playoff setting. Let me explain why I have that thesis. 
by and large, if you are going to beat Nick Saban, your quarterback has to play otherworldly. We saw it with Deshaun Watson last year in the playoff. Touchdown pass with one second left. He brings Clemson back in the second half. We saw it, honestly, with uh, with a lot of guys in the SEC over the years because Alabama hasn't lost that often. But when they have, it's been to first-round Heisman Trophy caliber winning quarterbacks. Tennessee, yeah, Johnny Manziel. Johnny Manziel. Um, like I mean, Stephen Garcia, so, people will never remember this, and I know you remember that weird October game in Columbia, South yes. Carolina, where Stephen Garcia, I mean, he played like an elite NFL quarterback that day with Alshon Jeff. It's probably the best game he ever played. Yeah, it was. And so, and even uh, going on that, like, Bo Wallace beat uh, Alabama. Well, Bo Wallace at his absolute apex. And also, Alabama, look, they could turn the ball over five or six times or whatever they did in that game. Uh, But, so you start to break down the overall lineup there. Are you with me? You you don't even necessarily buy into Oklahoma. But do you believe Kenny Hill? Do you believe that Notre Dame has got the talent at the quarterback position? Do you believe Bryant at Clemson is going to make plays? Like I just don't, or Fromm at Georgia, I don't think that anybody else is good enough at quarterback to make me nervous going up against Nick Saban. I think Alabama would right now, of all these teams that are out there in the mix to play for the title, I don't think any of them have the juice to beat Alabama. No, I agree with you. Um, and, and Baker Mayfield is one of those dynamic quarterbacks that would maybe give Alabama fits. And look, Lincoln Riley's got the offense dialed in. And I'm a little surprised they're as good as they are right now for, for, for Baker Mayfield to pass for almost 600 yards, 598 last week. And I know Oklahoma State's defense is trash, uh, but still on the road and with the young skill set that he's got around him. I just thought with what they lost last year with Mixon and Pirine um, in, in Westbrook, I, I thought the offense wouldn't be as good as they were. And Baker Mayfield's just that type of player. Now, on the other side, um, I think Alabama probably with Brian Dable um, calling the plays and Jalen Hurts running that offense, I think they probably would name their score and their ability to run on that Oklahoma defense would just be uh, completely insane. And I think it's one of the problems that, that got Mike Gundy in trouble last week was, you know, they were able to effectively run the football. And, you know, what I would have tried to do is try to keep it out of Baker Mayfield's hands. Um, but I agree with you. I think Mayfield could make plays against any defense out there and, I think if there is one quarterback that actually could beat Alabama, you're probably dead on uh, that it's Baker Mayfield because, yeah, those other guys wouldn't scare me, and especially with extra time to prepare for those guys if you were actually meeting up with any of them in the semifinals before the national championship ma- matchup. We're talking to Lance Taylor at the Lance Taylor on Twitter is his handle, 94.5 Jocks down in Birmingham. Any other major game to you in college football that's intriguing this weekend? Well, a lot of people want to say that that Iowa, based on what they did last week against Ohio State, and I still can't believe that outcome. Um, And this is embarrassing to say, uh, but talking to your man, Todd Furman, he was on the same side as as I was. I had uh, Ohio State minus 17 and a half, and they lose by 31. I still can't get over that. To me, that's the most surprising outcome when you look at the entire four quarters and how bad they beat Ohio State, based on the fact that JT Barrett's coming off a career game and then he absolutely has his worst game of his career. But a lot of people are, are, are fearing Wisconsin. Uh, they're overrated. This is the, the, the week they lose. I'm not buying it at all. Um, I think Wisconsin's pretty good. I don't think they're great by any means. They are probably your last hope for the Big Ten. But I think this is just going to be ta- typical Iowa fashion. I think they roll into Madison and get whipped. What about Bama? Should Alabama fans be nervous at all about going on the road at Mississippi State? I don't think so. Uh, you know, Mississippi State quietly has only got two losses. They're a top-20 team. Uh, Nick Fitzgerald's a really good quarterback, but he can't do it against elite defenses. He's never proven he can. And, you know, this is a team, and look, and I know it was kind of a, a, a trap spot, and they were a little flat against UMass, 
But, you know, that game was in doubt until Mississippi State takes one to the house, a 83-yard punt return with five minutes to go to ultimately win that game by 11. Um, I just don't buy it. Uh, Mississippi State's a good, solid squad. But Fitzgerald will have trouble, even with a banged-up Alabama defense. So that one, that one's one of those that uh, I don't think there's much, much fear uh, for Alabama. Let's pivot to the NFL. You're a Rams fan. This is amazing. I saw this statistic in the Wall Street Journal yesterday. What Sean McVay has done with the Rams to take their offense, which was the worst in the NFL last year, to the place where they are this year – is the biggest one-year swing in the history of the NFL from one year's offense to another year's offense. Is this not just one of the greatest coaching jobs we've seen uh, in a year? This may be one of the greatest coaching jobs we've ever seen. Can you uh, put into context how much difference there's been for Rams this year versus last year? Now, I said this a month ago, Clay, and I, I, I truly stand by this. And this is, and look, and I'm, I'm, I'm treading lightly on the Rams because I've seen this. Well, I haven't seen this story play out like this. I've just seen how bad the product's been over the last decade. But a month ago, I said there's not one coach in the NFL that I would trade Sean McVay for outside of Bill Belichick. And I don't even know if I would do that now. After, Based on age. This month has gone by. Based on age, the guy's 31. And by the way, have you seen his Ukrainian girlfriend? I'm sure she's good looking. Yeah, that needs to be your Google you search think, of the day. You think it might be a good position to be in, to be 31 single and the head coach of an NFL team in L.A.? Um, I you think that might be a lifestyle you could roll with? Oh, my God. I, you know, rolling into Game 7 for the Dodgers, as hot as they were in that market, I said Sean McVay's a year younger than Justin Turner. That's amazing. I mean, this, this guy has got the, he's got the world at his feet. I mean, the guy's probably making 5 or $6 million. Uh, I can't, can't even imagine the contract extension he will get if he continues down this path, at least for the next couple of months. But, yeah, the transformation, I mean, the culture is totally different. The communication, for him to have a defensive coordinator, Wade Phillips, that's twice his age, and just everyone responds to him. We talk about these offensive numbers. Through eight games, they've already scored more points this year than they scored in all of 2016, and he's doing it really without elite talent. Robert Woods was an okay wide receiver for Buffalo. I'm a USC guy. I wasn't even excited when the Rams acquired him. He's been fantastic. Sammy Watkins is a guy that seems like he doesn't play every down. He's He's got elite talent, but doesn't put up the numbers. Todd Gurley seems like an elite player, but you don't have a ton of offensive talent. Jared Goff obviously was awful last year. 0-7 is a starting quarterback, and he looks like an elite quarterback right now. So uh, I've been totally blown away. They catch a break this week. They get the Texans without Deshaun Watson. And uh, so it looks like, I mean, you know, knock on wood is an 11-point favorite. They probably rolled a 7-2. and two, And realistically, they should be 8-1. and one. I'll give Washington that win in the Coliseum. But they were up the double digits on Seattle. Uh, Cooper Cup drops a late touchdown there. The Rams realistically should be right there with the Eagles with the best record in, in the NFL. What else out there on the NFL slate this weekend jumps out at you? Are there any games you particularly love or any that you think must or must see? Like which ones from a gambling perspective do you like too? I like the Falcons a lot. Um, Falcons have just been kind of sitting there, just, just mired down at 4-4. Four and four. You know, when they opened 2-0, and oh, it looked like the Falcons that we saw last year that blew the Super Bowl against New England. And, you know, last week it was a difficult game against Carolina, and I really wonder what happens on that fourth down if Julio Jones reels it in and makes that a one-possession game. Uh, but Dallas comes in now. Dallas has won three consecutive games, and the public loves to back Dallas. I'm still not sure how good this Dallas team is. Dak Prescott has been playing outstanding football. I thought he might take a step back in year number two. Uh, there's still that haze circling Zeke Elliott, and he's 
still a fantastic back. But with a banged-up Des Bryant, I absolutely love Atlanta in this spot. And when you look at if there's any marquee games out there, um, I would say Dallas-Atlanta is probably the one. And number two on my list would be New Orleans at Buffalo. This Saints team, Clay, I just uh, – and this is going to be another thing for the Rams. You know, I hate to make this about the Rams, but second half of the season, they've got to play Philadelphia, they've got to play Minnesota, and they've got to play New Orleans. I mean, those are elite defenses. And New Orleans is yet – to give up more than 20 points in a game. And we're halfway through an NFL season, and they've won six consecutive games after the 0-2 start. So Sean Payton has got them going in the right direction, and I'm kind of blown away with uh, the way New Orleans is playing defense. Are you buying in? Like, So we talked a lot about young quarterbacks on this show, and there are six guys who are in their second, third, or fourth year. Now I'm leaving Deshaun Watson out, obviously, with the injury and also because he's only started about seven games. But in the second, third, and fourth year, you've got your guy, Jared Goff, at the Rams. You've got Carson Wentz, obviously, with the Eagles. You've got uh, a lot of success for Dak with the Cowboys. Marcus Mariota, whether you whether you believe in him or not, is 5-2 and two so far as a starter this year, favored to go to 6-2 and two this weekend against the Bengals. Uh, Jameis Winston has kind of fallen off the reservation, and then Derek Carr hasn't been as good as you would anticipate. Putting you on the spot right now, if you were drafting and you could have any of those six guys, who do you take? Oh, wow. Um, I, I'm going to go Carson Wentz. And it's not just based on the best record right now. There's something about Wentz. He seems like a natural leader. And, you know, I'll go back, and this is honest admission, you know, when the Rams and Eagles were drafting one, two, two years ago, I didn't like either one of those guys as franchise quarterbacks. I said the Eagles have got the better of the two getting Wentz. I think he can be a solid guy. Uh, but I would go Wentz right now. Uh, Dak Prescott might be number two. You know, if I would have gone back to last year, I'd probably say Derek Carr number one. So I know this is a fluid situation. I don't think you can miss with Mariota. The only guy that would scare me right now would be Jameis Winston. Yep. And, and there's just something there. Look, I've never been a Winston guy. I wouldn't want him in my organization. This is just me. Not a big fan. Um, but there's there's just something missing with Winston right now, and I cannot believe how bad that Tampa Bay offense is. I know he's not 100% healthy right now, uh, but there's just something off with Jameis Winston. What did you think about that speech he gave before the start of the game? I, I didn't understand it. I think he might be concussed. I think it was one of the weirdest things that I've ever seen. There was a lot of weird stuff going on this past weekend. Um, I, I think that was that was one of the top things. That and the Lane Kiffin uh, non-cover. Yeah, Lane uh, is on. Two. Lane's going to be on the show today. So, what would you say to Lane? Were you on FAU? I was minus the six and a half. Um, I, I just I, I don't understand what he's doing there. Look, you, you want, I, I know coaches can only control if they don't cover. But that was a moment that he actually could have controlled that he did cover. And uh, I can't believe this has not gotten more play. Are you going to ask him about oh, that? Oh, 100%. I'm going to ask him about it. And uh, I'm going to say, like, I, Lane, what happened? Again, I was talking to your guy, Todd Furman, who knows Vegas as well as anyone. And, you know, we were talking about how big of a deal this would be if an SEC coach tweeted out immediately after the game, uh, didn't want to cover. I mean, yeah. I can't believe this is not a bigger story. And Lane Kiffin's a pretty big brand, at least for a, a Group 5 coach. There's no doubt at all. We'll talk to him about it in an hour or two. If you're out there listening right now, you're not going to want to miss that. Good stuff as always, LT. Want to toss it to my guy, Eddie Garcia. Get an update in the world of sports right now. All right, Clay, let's start with Thursday Night Football, where the Seahawks beat the Cardinals 22-16 to in an NFC West battle. Russell Wilson had two touchdown passes for Seattle. They both went to tight end Jimmy Graham as the Seahawks improved to 6-3. and three. Arizona drops to 4-5. and five. In the win, though, big loss for the Seahawks. His uh, standout defensive back Richard Sherman suffered a ruptured Achilles tendon. He is done. 
for the season. News from the NFL, where an emergency injunction requested by the NFL Players Association on behalf of Dallas Cowboys star running back Ezekiel Elliott was denied by the second U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals. That means Elliott's six-game suspension is back on, and he is ineligible to play Sunday against the Atlanta Falcons. This report's brought to you by True Car. With True Car, you can find out what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for. New or used, visit True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. couple of games to note in the NBA where the Cavaliers continue to struggle. They did lose to a good Houston team on the road, 117-113. Houston's 9-3. James Harden had a triple-double, but Cleveland's now 5-7 on the season. They've dropped six of their last eight games. And the Thunder also struggling right now. They lose in Denver. The Nuggets 102-94. Oklahoma City now 4-7 and seven on the season. Thanks, my man. Uh, do you ever feel, Eddie, like you've just been living in Groundhog Day, giving consistent updates on this Ezekiel Elliott case, swinging one way or the other? Uh, yes. Yes, very much so. I mean, it is kind of crazy how many different versions of legal uh, processes here we have gotten. And I think, I think that he is now going to be out for the next six games, and it's unlikely that he's going to be able to find any way to avoid that. But, man, this process, I feel like uh, back in the day when I was in civil procedure, this this entire thing could be its own course. It, it's amazing how long this has dragged on and how rapidly all of these different rulings have come. And if I'm having trouble keeping up uh, and I've got a law degree, I can't even imagine what the average listener out there is thinking, my God, when is this story actually going to end and we're going to have some resolution? I think that Ezekiel Elliott is likely to go ahead and serve his six-game suspension. Honestly, If I'm the Cowboys, I want him to serve it at this point because, yes, he may hurt whether or not they can make the playoffs. There's no doubt about that. But wouldn't you rather have the certainty to know that he's going to be out the next six games as opposed to have him bouncing around? Maybe he comes back after four games and then potentially ends up having to serve a suspension once the postseason starts. It just doesn't make sense to me why they would continue to drag this on. By the way, we're coming to you live from the Geico Outkick Studios where it's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with Geico. Go to geico.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. I misspoke there with Lance. Uh, We're going to have Lane Kiffin on, but he's actually going to be on with us in hour three. So if you enjoy when Lane comes on the show, and he's been on several times now, uh, then you can go ahead and if you've got to be in work or whatever else, you can go ahead and download the podcast and know that he is going to be on in the third segment of the show today. In hour two, we'll talk with Dan Wetzel. He's been writing quite a bit about the mess that is the uh, the ball brothers, or the, ball, the middle ball child, I should say, LiAngelo, who is still restricted to his hotel, I believe, in China in the wake of his and two other teammates' arrest for shoplifting overseas. Um, let's go out to L.A. Are you guys with me in that this Ezekiel Elliott drama just seems never-ending? Yeah, definitely. I mean, especially, uh, not especially, but also from a, a fantasy perspective for those of us that still play fantasy football every week you're like oh you know am I gonna survive and it's 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 a back and forth now uh, Alfred Morris I think is gonna get the majority of his his carries now so we'll, we'll see how that turns out for, you know not only for fantasy teams but also for the Cowboys Alfred Morris does then definitely does not sound like a real dude like I, I find it hard to believe that anybody who's in his <laughs> 20s is named Alfred Morris right now he sounds like he should have been a butler in the 1940s um, but, uh, but yeah, look, I mean, this is something also that people who gamble have had to face constantly, like the, the, the uncertainty over, uh, over this issue has hung out there for a very long time. All right. There's a couple of things that, that I want to hit on, uh, in particular about this feud between 
Roger Goodell and Jerry Jones and where I think it could go. I mean, this is becoming an incredibly complex fight. What are they really fighting over? Uh, That, to me, is a really intriguing way to look at this dispute between the Dallas Cowboy owner and the the head of the NFL right now, Commissioner Roger Goodell, plus – Arthur Blank is kind of involved as well, and the Cowboys play against the Falcons. If you haven't really paid attention to this story, I think I can shine some light on it for you when we return. Final segment, hour one. Hope you guys are having a spectacular Friday wherever you may be in the country. Thanks for hanging with us here on OutKick, the coverage. Welcome back in. Final segment uh, of Hour One here, Friday edition. Again, thanks to all the veterans out there listening as we celebrate Veterans Day, observe Veterans Day today um, across the entirety of our country. Last night, Thursday night football, the Seahawks went on the road against the Cardinals and Jimmy Graham starting to make uh, even more of an impact than maybe, uh, or maybe the impact that we thought he would make when he first got to Seattle. He had two touchdown catches last night. This was the second one in the fourth quarter that put the game away. Russell throws far side into the end zone. Touchdown, Seahawks! Jimmy Graham from the two-yard line. Just an alley-oop. Listen to the roar. That Seahawks fans here at University of Phoenix Stadium. That was the Seahawks Radio Network, and I want to remind you, the play of the day brought to you by GEICO. It's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with GEICO. Go to GEICO.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. And right now, let's be honest, a big hard part of the NFL is the interpersonal relationship between Jerry Jones and Roger Goodell. And my eyes almost rolled back into my head when I read the uh, when I read the letter that Roger Goodell, uh, sorry, that Jerry Jones sent to the NFL over what he believed were improper actions surrounding Roger Goodell's uh, potential extension that is being worked on right now. And the reason why my eyes rolled back into my head was I said, "Oh my God! Like this is a battle that is being fought right now." over who has more influence over the NFL and over whether Roger Goodell has alienated so many owners that he can no longer continue as the commissioner. Now, yesterday, I floated the idea of Condoleezza Rice as a great idea of a candidate who could come in, reunite the NFL owners, actually stand up to the players who are not standing up for the national anthem, kind of do away with this controversy. Because what I think we can give credit for here is the NBA, either they foresaw that this could be an issue because of Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, or they were just more forward-thinking in general. But nobody out there in the media or among the fans is criticizing the NBA for requiring all of its players to stand for the national anthem. And there hasn't been a remote controversy in the NBA at all about the national anthem. And that's because the NBA had a prescribed rule that required you to stand for the national anthem. And as a result, the NBA has avoided all of this controversy that has enmeshed the NFL because they were forward thinking and maybe they contemplated that this could one day be an issue. And so they have an express rule that you have to stand for the national anthem or you suffer consequences. Now, If you are concerned about the players' First Amendment rights while they're wearing their uniform and all these other things, you are not being very intelligent because players have their speech rights restricted 
to a substantial degree while they're playing football. Let me give you an example. You don't have the right as an NFL player to do celebrations that are beyond what would be expected when it comes to a touchdown, right? You can be penalized, flagged, and fined if you violate the touchdown rule celebrations in some way. Now, I know they've eased up on the restrictions in the NFL of late and led to some funny celebrations, but you are giving away your right to perform maybe as you see fit. You can't go jump into the crowd and run up to the middle cons course and express your excitement over a touchdown without getting a penalty and potentially a fine. You can't even throw a football into the crowd without getting a fine to have to pay for that football. You can't wear the tennis shoes that you want that are, or your cleats that are sponsored by a different team. So there's all sorts of, you're required to wear the uniform of your team on the field. There are all sorts of speech restrictions that exist in football already. So everybody out there who's like, oh, you, you're taking away their First Amendment rights. The tons of their First Amendment rights are being taken away. That's what you call employment. And so the NBA has been smart about avoiding this controversy, and it hasn't hit the NBA in the pocket at all. What Jerry Jones is seeing, and I think he's right about, is this protest is starting to have a negative consequence for the overall business of the NFL, and he believes that Roger Goodell has been too soft in trying to address it. In retrospect, I think the NFL owners probably would say, you know what, we should have instituted a penalty against Colin Kaepernick for kneeling for the national anthem, refusing to stand, whatever it was. We should have instituted a penalty against him right then and there and tried to nip this complaint in the bud before it started to actually hurt our business. So this is one thing that Jerry Jones is upset about is Roger Goodell's inability or unwillingness to get out in front of this protest and actually end it. And the other part of this uh, reason why I think Roger Goodell is not supporting, uh, sorry, why Jerry Jones is not supporting Roger Goodell is this Ezekiel Elliott case. This Ezekiel Elliott case is a total joke. I don't care what side of the equation you're on when it comes to the Dallas Cowboys. I'm telling you as a lawyer The fact that Ezekiel Elliott is being suspended for something that he may not have done at all is a testament to the stupidity of this policy by the NFL to begin with. I've actually read all of these individual storylines. I have read them all. And uh, every every bit of this case surrounding Roger Goodell and, and Ezekiel Elliott, and they blew it. There's no way on earth to justify... Ezekiel Elliott being suspended six games here. If your goal is to only punish people for things that you know they did. And that's the entire purpose of the criminal justice system, right? We have a standard, guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. I don't even believe that Ezekiel Elliott, based on what I have read, is more likely than not to have done something wrong here. And I think that's where Jerry Jones is deciding to tee off on Roger Goodell. He's saying, wait a minute. You can't suspend my guy when all this evidence, if you read it, actually works in Ezekiel Elliott's favor. And all of these uh, lawsuits that have been filed and all the court hearings and everything else basically boil down to not did Roger Goodell rule correctly when he suspended Ezekiel Elliott. It's did Roger Goodell so exceed his authority 
in suspending Ezekiel Elliott that you can't uphold this suspension. And that's a really high standard to meet because Roger Goodell has the authority to decide on suspensions. The problem here is, and I talked about this some yesterday, Roger Goodell decided in the wake of the Ray Rice incident, nobody is ever going to accuse me of being soft on domestic violence again. And so who's the next person to come down the pike with a domestic violence-related investigation? It's Ezekiel Elliott. And so Roger Goodell decides, you know what? I'm going to throw the book at Ezekiel Elliott. I'm going to suspend him to the full extent of our rules, and nobody is going to accuse me of being going easy on domestic violence. Well, here's my issue. This is not about the Ezekiel Elliott case. This is about Roger Goodell trying to look tough against domestic violence because he wasn't tough enough with Ray Rice. And so he knows that his job is only threatened if the social media mob comes after him because they decide he's to blame for the punishment that exists in the NFL when it comes to domestic violence. Now, this is stupid. Roger Goodell created this whole mess for himself by deciding that he needed to be in the punishment business to begin with. What he should have done was allow the criminal justice systems to do all these investigations. And if somebody actually violates the law and is convicted, then the NFL could step in and punish somebody. But instead, Roger Goodell decided the NFL needed to be its own investigative body. And so you've got this height of absurdity where Ezekiel Elliott is being suspended six games, even though we're not sure that he did anything at all wrong. I don't blame Ezekiel Elliott for fighting this. I don't blame him for trying to take this to the mat because he feels like he was treated unfairly by Roger Goodell, and I think he was. And Jerry Jones is sitting back looking at this saying, man, not only has Roger Goodell totally bungled the response to the protest and hurt our business and hurt our television ratings and hurt our overall sponsorship dollars and and, and done what he claims he's trying to do the most for, defending the shield, He's basically tossed the shield directly into the line of fire. And the shield's getting wrecked. The shield being the NFL logo. Meanwhile, he's also failing when it comes to this Ezekiel Elliott suspension. I think if either of these things had been in existence standing alone, Jerry Jones wouldn't be fighting against Roger Goodell remaining commissioner. But what he's trying to do now by hiring David Boys and writing these letters and potentially threatening litigation is hold on long enough to allow other owners to join him in his belief that Roger Goodell should not be the next commissioner of the NFL. Now, I've already told you who I think the next commissioner of the NFL should be. I think it should be Condoleezza Rice. I think she would come in and do an incredible job, and I think she would be a great ally for Jerry Jones when it comes to standing for the national anthem and also not over-punishing guys. Look, just because domestic violence is an issue in this country doesn't mean that every person accused of domestic violence did it. That's an important distinction. Hour two next on Outkick the Coverage. Live from the Geico Outkick Studios. Great news. Quick way you could save money. Switch to Geico. Go to geico.com, and in 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance. Uh, Last night, obviously, as those of you are waking up, the Seattle Seahawks get the win on Thursday night football over the Arizona Cardinals. And in the process, they lose Richard Sherman for the rest of the year to a torn Achilles. So it was a uh, it was a tough win to be sure the substantial. Uh, But uh, in general, it is a uh, it is a, uh, a messy situation 
on Thursday night football in general because every time something happens in Thursday night football that is uh, that is not ideal, uh, that is an injury, everybody comes off and tees off. I saw where Doug Baldwin is teed off on Thursday night football saying that the, that the guys are playing at all is a joke. And I just – I feel like this is something where a good commissioner – one that is proactive and not reactive. And I think the criticism you can give Roger Goodell is that he's been incredibly reactive to issues that arise in the NFL as opposed to preactive, uh, proactive. I don't understand why Thursday night football can't be preceded by an additional bye week for every team that's playing in Thursday night football. A- am I crazy for not understanding how this is an incredibly easy solution for these games Every single, and I think it would make the league better and make the Thursday night football games a lot better, and it would give you extra time to get ready for the game that comes next. Every single team that plays in Thursday night football game, okay, every single team should get a bye week the week before. Why, why is this, why is this like brain surgery that the NFL doesn't see this? If you are going to play Thursday night football, and I'm completely fine with the NFL having Thursday night football, the NFL is making $500 million off of it. Half of that money goes to the players effectively, so the players are making $250 million off this too. Why would you not just build in an extra bye week and have every single Thursday night football team that plays get the week off before their Thursday night football game? I don't under like this to me is such a simple solution that I don't understand how it can't be resolved. How can this like for the players to complain? I understand, and for the fans out there, it's a tough turnaround. Your game, your teams play on Sunday. You're beaten up Monday morning. You got three days to get ready for the next game. The quality of play is going to be down substantially. I understand that. Your body is not trained to turn around and play like that. I would bet that the injury rates are higher in Thursday night football for NFL teams. So why not just put in an extra bye week if every team is going to play a Thursday night football game, which I'm not opposed to, why not just put in an extra bye week and have every single team come off of a bye week before Thursday night football? That seems like it would increase the overall quality of the performance, and then it also gives the players' bodies, an extra couple of days to recover before the next game. So it seems like from a health perspective, this is a no-brainer. Help me understand why I can't solve this issue in that way. Jason Martin, Danny G, Justin, am I crazy on this solution, or does this make complete sense to just build in an extra bye week if you're going to do Thursday night football, build in an extra bye week, give the guys' bodies times to recover, and... Give them an extra week. Like, I, is there anybody out there who opposes this at all? Like, and, and the reason why I think this is such an easy solution is I understand a lot of times why politically it's difficult to solve issues. Because when you change something, the people who have the what's being changed occurring, look at what's going on with tax reform right now in, uh, in Washington, D.C. Changing the tax code is incredibly difficult because there are people who like it the way it is and are winning based on the way the tax code is written now. So if you change it, they're going to be upset. But is there a single group out there that would be opposed to an extra week of an NFL season to allow for guys who are playing on Thursday 
to be completely healthy when these games are played and not feel like they're putting their bodies at risk. Can anybody even come up with an argument for why this wouldn't make sense? Extra bye week, it just extends the NFL season one week longer, gives the players' bodies more time to recover. Is there any fan out there that would be opposed to the NFL being 18 weeks instead of 17 weeks in the regular season and your team gets an extra bye week? The way that the NFL rolls with popularity, you'll just watch some other team play instead of your own team. Can anybody even come up with an argument why this doesn't solve the issue immediately? Jason Martin, I'll start with you. No, I mean, this is a no-brainer. And I think that the NFL, what's ridiculous about this is they actually know this because numerous times this year, teams that have played on Thursday night, their next game hasn't been until Monday night football. So they're giving them extra time after these Thursdays, and they end up in two primetime windows where it's just them and one other team playing, which I think is not good for the ratings to see those teams back-to-back in those primetime situations. But, for example, the Seattle Seahawks that played last night, obviously, do not play again until Monday Night Football against the Atlanta Falcons on November the 20th. That, to me, is absurd. They realize that they're trying to give more time between these games, yet they're not going to do it from the Sunday to the Thursday. That is just ridiculous. Add another week to the season. Let's keep guys on the field. We need stars. The NFL right now desperately needs stars. I had somebody write to me after I talked about that rash of injuries and say, well, you got Le'Veon Bell and all that. Who's going, who's watching Le'Veon Bell? Like, who is tuning into an NFL game to watch Le'Veon Bell run the football? No offense to him. He's fantastic. But I need these guys on offense and defense that are stars, even the ones that are outspoken the ones that can kind of transcend the helmet and do something for me and make me want to tune into games like a bad Cardinals team against a Seahawks team on Thursday night. So this needs to be fixed. This is a huge, huge mistake not adding this extra bye week. This is one of the easiest decisions that you've come to that I can agree with. I just I don't even see anybody who would be opposed to it. You know, usually when you change something, there's a group out there that says, no, 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 I like the way it is right now. Who is even opposed to this? Like This is an example of something that Roger Goodell could do that is proactive, that would help player health, that players would respond to in a positive fashion. L.A., Danny G., uh, and Justin, can you guys even think of an argument for why not to have an additional bye week before a Thursday night football team plays? No, not at all. This is an idea that everybody could get behind. And while we're at it, we get rid of a preseason game or two. Yeah, look, that's a good point. If they wanted to, if they're concerned about how long the season goes on, they could just knock out one of the preseason games. And so that you could still start the same time, but just don't have this extra preseason game. And as a result, like the season could still end at the same time. I can't even conceptualize of an argument for why somebody wouldn't be in favor of giving these teams an extra bye week before they play on Thursday night. I mean, Me I'm just, I mean, right? I mean, that, I'm just totally baffled that a solution like this can't happen. And, and, and maybe the calendar is the answer. Maybe they're like, you know what? We can't do this because of the calendar situation. Um, but if that is true, then good Lord, just like get this thing resolved and knock out a, a preseason game. That's a good point, Danny. Like, I mean, Amen. if that is the only, if that is the only obstacle that they are like, oh, you know what, we got to make sure that the season ends when it does now for the Super Bowl. I mean, you put an extra bye week in for the Super Bowl. You know, like you have the NFC and the AFC championship games, 
And then the reason why I think they do that, I think they do it so that the quality of the Super Bowl play will be as high as they can possibly make it. They want the players to be as healthy as they can, and they want the coaches to be as well-prepared as they can be for the Super Bowl. Well, that's only two teams, but you're giving them an extra week of preparation before the Super Bowl happens. Why wouldn't you just do this before Thursday night? And then if guys get hurt like Richard Sherman did last night, the story is not, oh, you know what, their bodies are breaking down. And I would love to see, and I haven't seen the data, are guys getting hurt at higher rates in Thursday night football than they are in other games? I don't know the answer to that. But that's that's a data set that I would like to see. For instance, we know that when NBA teams play back-to-back, the injury rate in the second game is a lot higher. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't do them. It just means that if you're a player, you have to understand that your odds of injury go up precipitously because your body's being put through a more severe, strenuous back-to-back game. So they've tried to eliminate as many back-to-backs as they can. And, And what you've seen is a lot of coaches have rested their guys and said, you know what, I don't need you to go back-to-back in these games. But is it actually a higher injury rate? I don't know. But uh, I think, first of all, we don't have enough data points to be able to figure out the answer to that. Because the Thursday night football game... according to the NFL, we do. Well, yeah, but the NFL is... I almost cursed there. But if you read League of Denial, the NFL is frequently full of crap when it comes to actual data. And the Thursday night football games are so recent that I don't think we have enough games, honestly, in the data set to be able to determine whether or not there are significant injuries arising from Thursday night football. But the easy answer is just put a bye weekend, it eliminates all of this, and it solves the problem. And this, to me, is really the essence of why Jerry Jones is challenging Roger Goodell with potentially this lawsuit. Because he has recognized that Roger Goodell has not been very good at seeing the controversies that are going to arise and responding to them. Instead, he has reacted after the controversy has already arisen. Well, if you are driving the the, the NFL bus, the job of the guy who's in charge of, uh, of this uh, situation, who's getting paid $40 million a year, is not to suddenly run full speed into a traffic accident It's to see the issue coming down the road and find a way for the NFL to avoid it. And so far, they have not been able to do it, which is a frustrating aspect of this entire process. If I am an NFL owner, I'm saying, wait a minute, I'm kind of on Jerry Jones' side. What has Roger Goodell done to be proactive to avoid controversy that hurts the league? Look, the NBA, and I, I was talking about this earlier, the NBA, I think, deserves immense credit for the fact that all their players stand for the national anthem and they had this policy in place before it ever became a controversy. The NFL could have, three years ago, put in an official rule that everybody had to stand for the national anthem. And before somebody starts protesting, then there would have been a policy in place of, okay, if you want to protest the national anthem, here's your fine, Here's the next step. This is exactly what we do. And I've said this from the get-go. If you were Roger Goodell and you thought about this, what I always say is, if you're a good steward, a good leader, you have your people out there thinking about not what the controversy is right now. You're not trying to get out there and put fires out after they start. You're saying, hey, let's see if we can avoid the fire ever starting to begin with. What can we do to be proactive to avoid ugly controversies for this league? And what Roger Goodell should have had people doing 
is thinking about something like this, here's an easy solution he could have put in place. Three years ago, if you could go back in time, the NFL could have mandated players stay for the nat- stand for the national anthem, and they could have put in a fine system if they don't stand for the national anthem, and all of the money for not standing at the national anthem could have gone to wounded warriors. I'm just tossing this out there as an example. And then there wouldn't have been this strong patriotism controversy, I don't think, because if a player chose not to stand for the national anthem, all of the money for their fine for not standing going to wounded warriors or some such organization devoted to veterans. And by the way, thanks to all the veteran service here on Veterans Day uh, as we celebrated on this Friday, that would have been a solution that made total sense. Would have made total and complete sense. And I don't understand why that wouldn't have been resolved. I don't. And so I understand completely why Jerry Jones is combating the idea of Roger Goodell coming back as commissioner because I think Roger Goodell has actually created more controversies than he solved. And the personal conduct policy, and I've been on this for a decade, is literally the dumbest thing that I've ever seen a commissioner do in the history of my life as a sports fan. We are going to talk next with Dan Wetzel. What's the latest on this Leangelo Ball situation? He is still absolutely not allowed, along with his teammates, to leave the hotel area where they are. Uh, We have today UCLA, I believe, tipping off the season against Georgia Tech. They will not have those three basketball players because they are all still detained in China. What's the latest there? Dan Wetzel at Yahoo Sports has been writing about it. I think this story is fascinating. What does he think about uh, this story in general? We'll talk about that next here on OutKick, the coverage. Everybody's got a to-do list. Drop off the dry cleaning, pick up some milk. Here's an idea. Let's add save hundreds of dollars on car insurance. And the good thing is you don't have to drop off or pick up anything. All you have to do is go to Geico.com, and in 15 minutes you could be saving 15% or more on car insurance. Extra money in your pocket. It just may be the most rewarding to-do you do today. We bring in now our guy Dan Wetzel, Yahoo Sports national columnist. And Dan, you've been all over this Leangelo Ball story, which is just one of the craziest possible imaginable stories. You've got Donald Trump in China for a visit. You've got UCLA for some reason deciding to go to China to play against Georgia Tech to start the basketball season. What do you know about this case and what have you been able to uncover? Because you've talked to a lot of people in the wake of Leangelo Ball and two of his teammates being charged with shoplifting? Well, the details of exactly what happened are extremely hard to come by. This is the Chinese government, not United States police. There is no police report. They may not even, uh, one Chinese lawyer told me they may not even tell the guys how much they are accused of stealing. Um, They can kind of determine that later. Uh, there is just not the procedures you expect in America, uh, all sorts of different things. But the basic story is uh, th- th- three players are at a Louis Vuitton store right by their hotel uh, outside of Shanghai, and uh, they left the store. They were under suspicion of shoplifting. Twenty police officers from China went to the, the Hilton, where both Georgia Tech and UCLA were staying, interviewed a ton of players, uh, and then arrested these three. Uh, the lawyers who are the Chinese lawyers I spoke to said they, the police almost assuredly have security footage uh, and probably recovered the stolen goods when they got to their room and there's a Louis Vuitton bag or whatever, whatever got taken. 
So they would not have made a move this strong against a Westerner, uh, particularly ones they would pretty quickly understand are prominent player, prominent figures, uh, without having just overwhelming evidence. So um, that that's kind of what we know. They the guys all went in and were detained immediately, and that's where things got interesting because it's under the Chinese law, they don't in general, have anything like American-style bail where, you know, you post bail and you get to walk out while they're resolving your case or you get to leave on your own reconnaissance or anything like that, you can sit in a Chinese jail for up to 37 days before they even decide whether they want to press a charge. The arraignment could take 37 days, if you will, and then they could just sit there and say, oh, no, no crime, and you're out, but you serve 37 days in jail. So... Uh, these guys, though, within a, with a little of their hotel room and got to go back to their hotel and are told to stay in their hotel while they're trying to resolve it. So to so the Chinese lawyers and the, the figures, the professors in China, I know that, that know the law, say that's a really good sign that they're not going to get put away for any extensive time and they may be able to get out of there in the next even even by the weekend or or could be weeks, uh, but they, the Chinese may just say we want this over with. Uh, we have President Trump in the country at this time. We do not want a big thing. Just pay a fine and get out of here. And uh, I think it, the the UCLA Bruin players could escape uh, very happily because this thing could be charged. They can pretty much do whatever they want, and you could you could easily do a year in prison um, if they want to trump the charges up to like robbery and not shoplifting you could do you know three five seven years i mean it's it's china it's not you know, anybody listening let this be a lesson you want to learn one thing from leandro ball do not steal anything in china <laughs> don't steal it in the united states or any other country but china no maybe iran would be worse but other than that this is about as dumb of a thing as someone could possibly do we're talking to Dan Wetzel, Yahoo Sports national columnist. And one of the things that amazed me about your article was that China has a 99.8% conviction rate. So even if you thought, you know, we have a pretty good defense, uh, it doesn't necessarily play very well in China. So uh, what does this mean like long term? I mean, if you're the Pac-12, why in the world are they playing a basketball game in China? I mean, I mean, and the same thing for the ACC. Like, I understand the players getting the benefit of going overseas and getting to experience the cultural trip, I think that can make sense. But this idea that the Pac-12 has of, oh, we're going to make Pac-12 basketball matter in China, is that really a very smart move? Uh, so, I, I don't know. Um, no, I don't think Pac-12 basketball is going to become popular in China. It doesn't make any sense. People like the NBA and and. It's it's impossible to get people to like college sports in other countries. It's almost impossible. they don't understand it. It don't, doesn't make any sense. And if you are a fan of a sport in general, you want to watch the best play the sport. Correct. Like nobody just sits there and goes, you know what? I'm a really big AAA baseball fan. Just love AAA baseball. Unless by proximity you live right next to a AAA baseball stadium, or in the United States. This is our local. I live in a state that doesn't have a pro team, or I went to school there. Like, there's there's reasons why you're a high school or a college football fan generally, or basketball. Otherwise, if you just like basketball, you want you just want to watch the NBA, which is all over China. So that part, there's nothing. There. I I don't get that. 
I think what they're trying to do is really just attract students. So if they can have a game and 10,000 people show up and some of them are, are potential students who, who get the – it's a way to market UCLA, which obviously could get – you know, there's a lot of Chinese students in the United States. They come to the United States to study. So there's certainly a benefit to that level. But, uh, you know, is this whole thing worth it? I don't know. They're, they're obsessed with doing everything all over the country and doing all these different things. Um, obviously, I don't think you kill the, 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 the idea and the concept because these three knuckleheads can't think of the simplest thing in the world to do. Don't steal stuff in China. I mean, I, again, this is just so – I've been to China. Like, you feel the oppression a little bit. And you certainly are, have to be aware at all times, unless you're 18 years old maybe and just don't have any clue – that this is not, this is just not a place to mess around. You don't, you don't, this isn't, this isn't even England. This isn't even France. Like, you know, you've got to understand that you do not have any rights there. Now, maybe, you know what? These guys will probably get, get bailed out by the government and by UCLA. And so it'll kind of, you know, uh, they'll, they'll be actually be rewarded for that, that, that it isn't. But for the general person, you don't go to China and steal things. It's just such a simple thing to avoid. Um, and they didn't. So I don't think you're going to have a bunch of Pac-12 basketball fans, but they certainly some. basically it's a way of using these students, these the players to market their schools. We're talking to Dan Wetzel, Yahoo Sports National columnist. Uh, I wrote on Thursday after I talked about this email that I received from the Los Angeles Police Department. Speaking of the NBA, uh, there have been several fake hate crimes of late. Air Force, Kansas State, uh, one at the university up, up near the University of Minnesota in Minneapolis, I believe. Lots of different things where people have claimed that they were the victim and then it's kind of blown up upon the investigation. It turns out that it's a fake hate crime. Well, this is what's kind of fascinating to me. Uh, six months ago, LeBron James, right before the NBA Finals started, said that there was a racial slur spray-painted on his uh, on a gate outside of his L.A. mansion. And I kind of have followed up on this. And the, uh, yesterday I started talking about this on the show, and I wrote about it on the site. And I'm reading from you directly an email that I received from the L.A. Police Department Good afternoon. Thank you for your inquiry. We've heard no further with regards to that incident since it happened back in May of this year. I know detectives were investigating, but no further was provided to us. Usually with something high profile or newsworthy, we are provided follow-up information to give out to the media when it's available. Check back with us. Does this seem strange to you? Like this story in general and the way it's kind of played out, the fact that they painted over the slur, Uh, allegedly there's no witnesses in the neighborhood in Brentwood, uh, which is a a wealthy area of Los Angeles. Surveillance cameras not turned on. None of the other surveillance cameras in the neighborhood have any evidence of who might have done this. And there's been no update given out in the six months since since this happened. Is this strange or am I just reading too much into this? Uh, It's definitely not exactly how you'd expect the crime or, you know, the details to emerge, I would, I, it was always a little surprising that they just painted it over without taking a picture. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think that the whole, the whole story is just that I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. Is this uh, the kind of thing that you should sure follow up on? Actually trying to pay attention to it. I'll give you that. I'll give you credit <laughs> for that. <laughs> I mean, I because to me, when I, when I hear a story like this and it gets yeah. all this attention and everybody says, oh my God, and everybody reacts to it. 
my initial reaction, this is just the lawyer in me, I think, because I go back and I say, okay, like I, when I was in law school, and I've used this example a bunch on the radio show, but I had a law, criminal law professor, and he said the three most important things that matter in cases like these, uh, in cases in general, in any criminal case, are the facts, the facts, and the facts. And it seems to me, and I'm curious what you think, because you obviously cover so many different stories, and you've covered a lot of these crime uh, cases while sitting in the courtroom. So much of the way the media approaches individual stories is characterized by an existing worldview. In other words, people try to use whatever case exists as evidence of a larger worldview, right? Like even Aaron Hernandez, there are lots of people being like, oh, well, how does CTE impact this case? They don't focus just on the individual case. They think larger in what the case represents. And oftentimes lawyers push back against that because they say ultimately what we've got to convince a jury on is not what they believe about the larger context of the world. We have to convince them on this specific case. And so do you feel like a lot of times I think sports media gets involved in the global perspective of a story as opposed to the actual story? And so the individual facts of a case don't get focused on what the case means gets focused on more so. Does that make sense? I mean, that part in general is absolutely true. And to go to Hernandez, and this is just how people's worldview, when Aaron Hernandez comes up as a suspect in these murders, virtually every single person looked at him and said, oh, he's got tattoos, he's an NFL player, he's kind of a rough guy, he must have been in a gang growing up, he must have been in a bad neighborhood, the streets pulled him down. And, and literally people played off of that and said, and said, oh, we just couldn't separate him from his, his boyhood friends. Aaron Hernandez lived in a, in a, in a, a middle-class neighborhood in Bristol, Connecticut, where last year two people were murdered. Like, he grew up in a two-family household. Like, he, none of those things were true, which actually made it more fascinating. But most people just wanted to write him off as a thug because, like, well, that's my worldview, right? Yes. And it's an easy story instead of looking at the reality and going, this story's way more interesting because he doesn't fit into those things. He isn't just, like, getting – he wasn't under threat. Why did he kill these people? It's more interesting. But, yes, you absolutely have to fight that. I think the problem with modern media, particularly now more than ever, is the reaction time and these stories are so quick. There's no chance for the facts to come out. Like something hits, there's reaction. Everyone's on TV, radio, and on the Internet writing about it. And then the next day, the story's over. And it's like you didn't even have time to take to read the police report. Nobody's taking any time. Let them, facts, facts. There are no facts when a lot of these stories go. So I don't know what – and I, I never wrote or really did anything with LeBron James. I did nothing with the LeBron James story because it just – it did seem odd. There were no pictures, things like that. I don't know. But I also think I was just working on something else at the time. I don't cover every single story. But a lot of people do cover every single story. You know, one of the problems with those, like, you know, and I, I enjoy many of these shows, but – you know, around the horn or, or, or PTI, those kind of shit. They do like 14 topics in a day. Yeah. Then they do 14 topics the next day. It's like, and I, I, I always am like, how the heck could you know all this stuff? Like you go from, I'm going I'm to have a perspective on a crime that occurred here, but I'm also going to know who the, the Houston Astros relief pitcher should have been last night. <laughs> you know, like that's, yes. like there's a lot of expertise there. Like how can you pull all that off? 
And every one of those shows, Fox, ESPN, everyone's got that. that that's it. And it's like, gosh, I can't do that. i got to actually sit down and read. By the time you actually read it and go through it, uh, it, 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 it's hard. And I think that's a failure in modern media. We had one just this week where all of a sudden it was like, the, the indictments in the college basketball case all of a sudden prove or or show that Rick Pitino knew about this payoff plot. And I was like, I, I had read the, the indictment. I had not seen that. And I said, B, maybe I misread it. And I go back and I pour over it. It takes me about two hours to figure out what's different and all this stuff. And then by the time I write the column saying it doesn't really show that, you know, nobody cares. It's gone. I mean, that was just two hours later. It's like, boom, because somebody said it did. So I think that's one of the problems because you're right. Most of these cases with crime, with 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 vandalism stuff, and, and these obviously we have all these hoaxes which are bizarre to me. So I don't know. I don't know whether this is a hoax. I don't know whether it's a disgruntled employee. I don't know if it's a bad idea that went even crazier. I don't know if it happened, but yeah, it's, it's hard to say. It's just hard to say. But I do think, yeah, the initial reaction is like, well, I know it, it must be true. Here's my take. Boom. Let's move on to the next day. That's the media today. Yeah, it's fascinating. Dan, I appreciate you joining us here on this Friday morning. Enjoy the football over the weekend. All right. Thanks, Clay. Take care. That's Dan Wetzel. Go follow him on Twitter at Dan Wetzel. Let's go to my guy, Eddie Garcia, now for the latest update in the world of sports. All right, Clay, on Thursday Night Football, it was the Seahawks beating the Cardinals in Arizona 22-16 in the NFC West battle. Quarterback Russell Wilson had a pair of touchdown passes for Seattle, both to tight end Jimmy Graham. Seahawks are 6-3 and three now after the win. Cardinals dropped to 4-5, and five. but for Seattle, they won the game but lost star defensive back Richard Sherman. He suffered a ruptured Achilles tendon during the game, and he is done for the rest of the season. News from the NFL, an emergency injunction request by the NFL Players Association on behalf of Dallas Cowboys star running back Ezekiel Elliott was denied by the second U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals. That means Elliott's six-game suspension is back on. He is ineligible to play Sunday against the Atlanta Falcons. This report brought to you by True Car. With True Car, you can find out what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for, new or used. Visit True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. And Clay, real quick, from the NBA, Cavaliers lose to the Rockets, 117-113. Houston's 9-3. They're tied with the Warriors for the top record in the West. James Harden had a triple-double, 35 points, 11 rebounds, 13 assists, while Cleveland still struggling at 5-7, and seven, and they've lost six of their last eight games. Outstanding stuff, as always. We are coming to you live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where it's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with Geico. Go to geico.com or call 800-947-AUTO. Only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. Up next, unbelievable story. Animal Thunderdome time, and you're not going to want to, you're not going to, you're not going to believe the story that I've got out of Japan. Let's see if the other guys can top it next on Outkick, the coverage. Great news. Quick way you can save money, switch to Geico. Go to geico.com, and in 15 minutes, you can save 15% or more on car insurance. Lane Kiffin up in hour three. On the road this weekend with the Outkick Tailgate Tour uh, is my girl, Hannah Ray Yates, on Twitter. H-A- you can give out your Twitter handle. I'm not going to try to spell everything because I'll blow it uh, inevitably because it's early in the morning. Uh, Hannah Yates is with us. She's been on the road all fall. Next weekend, they're going to be at Vanderbilt, Missouri in Nashville, my hometown. This weekend, they are at the Grove in Ole Miss. How excited are you for Oxford? I'm really excited for it. I think I've been counting down the weeks until we get to go here and experience this grove that I've heard about for so long. I've never been, so I think it'll be a great time. 
You've been on the road now a lot for the fall doing these tailgate tours. You can check out the videos at outkick.com. Uh, you're doing them for the home loan expert and outkick. It's a lot of uh, cool stuff that you've been doing so far. Where's your favorite school that you've been to in the SEC so far? Uh, I would say before the game starts, my favorite has to be the Mississippi State game that we went to when they played LSU because both fan bases were just crazy that day, and we met so many characters and just great diehard fans. And then I also like the Texas A&M game. We got to stay in the field for that game and, and do some really cool interviews with former players and coaches who just gave us some great answers. So everywhere has been great, but those two really seem to stick out. Uh, what do you expect uh, for people out there who are listening right now and they're like, oh, I'm a fan of OutKick. I'm going to be at this game at Ole Miss. I'll be in the Grove. What should people look for? What are you guys doing? I mean, we're just kind of running around campus for a while before the game starts. There will be me. There will be the videographer. We sometimes have some extra people in, in the blue shirts with the logo on there, and we're just trying to capture the culture of each SEC school um, before we head into the game. We'll head onto the field and, and capture some of that of with the team and just get the best interviews that we can. We've gotten some really great ones. We got to meet the couple that actually raises the live Gamecocks um, for every game for South Carolina, that mascot. So that was fantastic. But we really just try to capture as many uh, memories for these videos that we can. So for everybody out there who's intrigued by this, we're going to have all of the videos that Hannah and her crew put together up to allow you to vote who, th- who you think has the best tailgate environment uh, in the Southeastern Conference. And then whoever wins that, we are going to have a party in that community for OutKick. So we'll open up the bar tab. We will let everybody roll in. I'll let you know where it's going to be if you're in an SEC town. So if your town wins and we're going to start voting, I believe, a week from Monday. So Thanksgiving week, and we'll allow it to run up until the SEC title game. uh, And then we'll throw a good party for whoever wins uh, in that college town. So it should be a lot of fun. Oh, it's going to be a blast. Yeah, 12 days of voting opens November 20th on the com. We'll open it that day. It should be a blast. Clay will be there. He's forced to go, so you guys better vote, and I think it'll be a great time. Awesome. Have fun in the Grove, and I'll see you next weekend when you roll into town here for the Mizzou-Vanderbilt game. All right, sounds good. Thanks a lot, Clay. That's Hannah Yates. You can find her on Twitter at Hannah Ray Yates. You can also search her out. She's in my uh, the group of people that I follow. They've been doing great work. All fall. All right, I told you, cue the music, boys. I told you that I think this is going to be one of the most absurd animal Thunderdomes we've ever had. Don't think anybody can beat it. Cue the music. Ladies and gentlemen. I'm just glad I was there. Boys and girls. I thought he thought I was like this ginormous piece of chicken. Dying times here. This is Animal Thunderdome. We go to Tokyo, Japan. A Japanese police probe into the attempted murder of an elderly bedridden woman, uh, sorry, an elderly bedridden woman has reportedly led to an unlikely suspect, a stray cat. This woman was found bleeding profusely from 20 cuts to her face on Monday at her home in southern Japan. Police launched an attempted murder investigation after seeing the wounds, many of which were severe. When we found her, blood covered everything above her chin. Her face was soaked in blood. I didn't know what had happened. The woman is 82 years old, reportedly unable to speak, had to get emergency care. 
They found no sign of people entering or leaving the house at the time of the suspected attack. They then realized that her wounds looked like they may have been inflicted by a cat. Police turned their attention to the stray cats outside of her house, found traces of human blood on one of them. Police are analyzing a blood sample taken from the claw of the cat. It's possible that this stray cat tried to kill this old woman. We got a killer house cat on the loose in Japan. Not sure that one can be topped. Next time Garfield asks for lasagna, you give him that damn lasagna. That's bad news. I think I might have one to top it because it's going on right now, Clay. It's going on in Florida, and I believe it's pronounced Miyaka City, which is near Sarasota or above Sarasota in Manatee County. This is numerous reports, including Fox 13. Investigating reports received last night around 7 p.m. of, quote, multiple large cats spotted in Miyaka City, unquote. A 17-year-old yesterday, last night, says that she saw a tiger wandering around this town in Florida, in Miyaka City. Contacted authorities, then a neighbor said they also saw a large cat. A third said they saw a bobcat. They're still trying to find out. There are people actually in the air right now trying to find what they believe could be up to three loose large cats that might be tigers in Miyaka City, Florida. They have not spotted them, nor have they been able to track down anyone who says that tigers are missing. So you're now in a situation where tigers may or may not be on the loose in this Florida city as you wake up on a Friday night. And the Florida Wildlife Commission has come out and say, if you see any large cats in the area, do not approach them. Go inside, call 911 or the Wildlife Alert Hotline right away so right now tigers not just in atlanta here we go i don't know that we're on in miyaka city florida 877-996-6369 if we're on in that area if you can hear us right now we need a live boots on the ground journalism here potential tigers on the loose in florida not going to miss this opportunity anything in la yeah from real life yesterday clay taking over southern california there was over a hundred par- parrots. These are wild red lore Amazon parrots, and uh, there's an uh, uh, an old wives' tale that these birds were freed from a Garden Town nursery in Pasadena years ago, and they have run rampant now throughout Southern California. I was I watched them take over an entire shopping center and almost caused two cars to crash because these birds are huge and they were flying in front of customers as they were trying to park. I got some audio. Oh, yeah, certainly. (laughs) (laughs) This from my iPhone. Good Lord. Yeah, uh, imagine it was. Wait, a, did you actually see these yourselves? Yes, I was. Oh, whoa! Yeah. Oh my. Oh, goodness. well, you're an eyewitness. Yes, I was outside of a Panda Express in Burbank, <laughs> California, and I I hear these birds. I look up; they are in about four or five trees, and then they were darting in front of cars that were trying to park. And, and these are big parrots, huge green parrots. They're like Parrot wow. Express, huh? That's an unbelievable yes. story. <laughs> so Glad nobody they, heard that. They think that they are like they're not native to Southern California, right? They just escaped. Yes, yes. More on the other side. Oh my God, this is terrifying.
We'll reset everything. Final hour of the show up next. What happened in Sunday Night Football? Live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote as well. Duralast batteries designed to stand up to even the most extreme weather conditions. They're built with patented technology to reduce damage due to vibration and deliver the most power during startup. They're proven tough and sold only at AutoZone. Get in the zone, AutoZone. So last night we had the debut of NFL Week 10, Thursday night football, the Seattle Seahawks on the road against the Arizona Cardinals. Not a particularly surprising outcome. Uh, The Seahawks were right around the six-point favorite Uh, although they missed an extra point if you're a gambler that could have had a substantial impact on whether or not you considered that game to be enjoyable or not. But as a a larger context of this game, the NFL's inescapable injury issue reared its ugly head, particularly when it involves players that are well-known in the league. Richard Sherman tore his Achilles, is now out for the rest of the year, and Pete Carroll was asked about that immediately after the game. Uh, He has been just a you know bastion of you know consistency and competitiveness and toughness and you know through all of the, you know, the stuff that you know we we worked through together and all of it uh it's been awesome you know it's been hard it's been challenging he's been an extraordinary uh, uh almost iconic player you know in, in this league and uh so he's gonna have to sit you know you know try not to go overboard on this but i just that's just the way i feel about it and, and uh, uh we'll miss the heck out of him and uh, he'll be with us. I know every step of the way when he can, and, and uh, but uh, we'll miss the heck out of him. Richard Sherman was also asked about the injury, and he had this to say. Yeah, I knew what, what, what was happening. I mean, it's bothered, been bothering me all season. So, you know, it's one of them things you just have to play through as long as you can, and then, you know, when it goes, it goes. <laughs> Doctors have tried to talk me out of plan for years. You know, they tried to stop me many years, and they understand that, you know, I'm going to go out there and try to give do everything I can to, to help my team. And, you know, it's not about – Anything but that, you know, it's just, it's, I owe it to those guys and gave them everything I had. That is Richard Sherman. He's now out for the year, joining a long list of NFL superstars who are sidelined, whether it is Aaron Rodgers, J.J. Watt, Eric Berry, Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, there have been a bevy of big-time playmaking NFL uh, stars who are now out for the season. And that's the ugly result of Thursday night football in terms of the uh, the, the playoff race, uh, as it were, as we come down the second half of the season. This uh, certainly keeps the Seattle Seahawks within hailing distance of the first place L.A. Rams, which you probably did not anticipate hearing me say when this season began out in the NFC West. As we pivot towards the weekend that will come, let me tell you what we got for this final hour of the show this week. First, thanks for spending your Friday morning with us. Uh, we are doing our best to uh, to get you ready for the college football weekend to come as well as the NFL weekend to come. Next segment, we're going to have Lane Kiffin up early with us down at FAU as he gets ready for his game against Louisiana Tech, the first place team in Conference USA. Lane Kiffin returning as a head coach, and he will be with us live here on the final hour of the show up next. But I'm also going to give you my gambling picks in the final segment of the show and To me, the weekend coming up in college football versus the NFL, the college football slate is a lot more entertaining, particularly because we effectively have three playoff games. Now, uh, we know that TCU at Oklahoma is basically a playoff game because if you want to win uh, win the Big 12 and have an opportunity to play for the playoff overall, you can't lose anymore in the Big 12. 
And so either Oklahoma or TCU needs to finish 12-1. and one. They're the last one-loss teams in the entirety of the Big 12 Conference. So when that game takes place in Norman, uh, Oklahoma, whoever wins is still alive to advance to the playoff. Whoever loses is officially eliminated. That makes it a playoff game. Down in South Florida, we've got the return of Notre Dame-Miami as a rivalry game, and Notre Dame is effectively playing to advance in the playoff. Because if Notre Dame loses, they're out of the playoff mix and it won't matter what happens to them against Navy or Stanford. But if Notre Dame wins, then Notre Dame would basically be two games away from punching a ticket to the four-game playoff. Meanwhile, for Miami, it's not quite an elimination game because I still think they could lose to Notre Dame, still come back and beat Clemson in the ACC title game if they won the rest of the games on their schedule and they would have a really good shot of getting into the playoff. But certainly, Miami uh, is going to need to uh, to get some help if they were to make the playoff at 11-1. and So this is a massive game for Miami as well. And finally, Georgia is going on the road at Auburn, and a lot of people have written Auburn off for dead. But if Auburn were to beat Georgia tomorrow, and then they were to beat Alabama in two weeks uh, in the Thanksgiving weekend game, and then they were to advance to the SEC title game because they would win the SEC West then and beat Georgia again, I think there's a good chance that 11-2 Auburn would end up getting into the playoffs. So Auburn's playoff chances not quite eliminated just yet, although I do think Georgia is going to win this weekend. I want to go around the horn. Those are the three best games, I think, not only on the NFL slate, but the college slate too. I think if you were ranking games, you would have to say those are the top three football games to watch all weekend, even if you include NFL games. Uh, And so I want to go around the horde with the crew here uh, in uh, the production staff. Which of these three games is the most must-watch to you? Personally, personally, the game that I would have to rank number one overall there, I think for me is Notre Dame-Miami. I just think the return of that rivalry game I don't think we have a really good sense for what's going to happen in this game. How good is Miami? Can Mark Rick keep the undefeated streak going? Can Brian Kelly bounce back from an incredibly disappointing season last year to effectively put his team right on the periphery, right on the edge of advancing to the playoff? To me, that is uh, that is the most intriguing game by far, although I'm going to watch all three of them. What about you, Jason Martin? I'm actually with you on this, and the main reason is because I don't know as much. I haven't sat down and watched as much Notre Dame football and as much Miami football as I have these other teams. My sense is Georgia is much better to me than Auburn is in the games that I've seen, and Oklahoma is much better than TCU is. So I expect those games to go in that fashion. Notre Dame and Miami, I didn't realize Miami was as good as they were because I expected Virginia Tech actually to beat them last week, and that's not how that went down. So I want to watch those two teams play. Yes, there is certainly historic rivalry there with the Catholics versus convicts and everything that plays into it, but there's just a lot of intrigue behind that because I just simply haven't seen those teams as much. So I would go with that one, although all three are good, and that's not even to talk about. There are other matchups in the top 20 that are going to be a lot of fun tomorrow, but of those three for sure, I would definitely go as you did with Notre Dame and Miami. What about you guys in L.A.? Which game are you most excited to watch? Uh, Number one, I would definitely say Georgia at Auburn. It's fun to think how much Auburn can really shake things up. That's going to be a fun watch. And as far as NFL goes on Sunday, Dallas at Atlanta. 
that's got all kinds of storylines, including the owners hating each other. Yeah, that's big time now. The fact <laughs> yep. that they're playing while this lawsuit potentially could get filed over whether or not Roger Goodell deserves a contract extension. Also, New England at Denver. It's going to be interesting to see if uh, you know what Denver can muster up and what they have left in the tank. I'll be, you know, I'm a season ticket holder, so I'll be at this uh, Titans and uh, Bengals game. And, you know, people like roll their eyes. But if the Titans win this one and they're favored to win to get to six and three, it actually sets up a pretty big Thursday night game because the Titans would go on the road against the Steelers. The Steelers, I believe, have uh, somebody not very good, right? Aren't they playing like the Browns or something? Uh, am I correct in this? Or are the Steelers already on by and they're taking – I don't know what the situation is. I think the Steelers are going to be seven and two. I remember looking at the schedule and saying Colts. there's no way – yeah, okay, they're playing the Colts. So there's no way that the Steelers are going to lose to the Colts, I wouldn't think. And so you'd theoretically have 7-2 and two Pittsburgh Steelers, who are the overall number one seed in the playoffs, going up against 6-3 and three Tennessee Titans on Thursday night football. And uh, we'll see whether or not that ends up being a good game. What about you, Justin? What are you most looking forward to? Uh, well, I'm going to have to you know, piggyback on what Danny said and say uh, Denver, New England. But, I mean... I guess I'm, I'm. We're both Broncos fans, Justin. You sound like such I'm a not looking forward man to that game. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not looking forward to that game. I can tell you that. I I am kind of defeated. I mean, look, I just I want to see something out of the offense, and I don't know that that's going to happen this week. But I'm looking forward to it because if it, if it is another poor showing, then I think that means we're going to see Paxton Lynch. So either way, we're going to find out you know something about the team. Just a brutal, brutal analysis of that game there. Uh, So uh, we are going to talk with Lane Kiffin next. I will say this, though. If you are out there and you're following this college football playoff race, and I do think it's a potential mess because there's the possibility that you could end up with seven teams with legitimate cases that they deserve to go to the playoff. And let me explain how that would be set up. You could have 12-0, or sorry, 13-0 Alabama or 12-1 Alabama, 13-0 Georgia or 12-1 Georgia. You could have a 12-1 Clemson. You could have a 13-0 Wisconsin team, a 12-1 Washington team, a 12-1 Oklahoma team, and an 11-1 Notre Dame team. That's seven really good resumes. All of that could happen. And if you had all seven of those, how would you pick four teams to go? I don't know the answer to that. I think it would be an incredibly difficult situation. So if you want chaos to ensue then I think you should root for Notre Dame, you should root for Georgia, and you should root for Oklahoma. If you want this situation to end up with some kind of clear-cut, uh, you know, not necessarily that much confusion, then I think you root for Miami because that would eliminate Notre Dame from playoff contention. I think you root for Auburn because that probably eliminates the idea of the SEC getting two teams in. So Auburn would would maybe take care of that. And you should root for, I think, TCU because I think TCU's twelve and one resume is not going to be as good as Oklahoma's twelve and one. And there's a decent chance TCU could lose in the Big Twelve title game too. So if you don't want chaos, that's how you should root. If you do want chaos, you want Notre Dame to win, you want Oklahoma to win, and you want Georgia to win. That's setting up the potential for a really difficult down the stretch decision from the playoff committee. All right, up next. Down in South Florida. It's Lane Kiffin, his team traveling 
to Louisiana Tech for another game in Conference USA. He's got the number one team in Conference USA. What does he think about all of the landscape of college football? What does he think about the job he's done at FAU so far? And what does he think about Alabama, Georgia, and a lot of other teams? We're going to talk about that and more with Lane Kiffin, at Lane underscore Kiffin on Twitter, with us from South Florida. I am Clay Travis. You are listening to Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Great news. Quick way you could save money, switch to Geico. Go to geico.com, and in 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance. He's the most active man on Twitter. He's become the most popular man on Twitter. He is Lane Kiffin, head football coach of Florida Atlantic, who is on an absolute roll. Lane, I want to start here. At any point when you took the FAU job, I always like to ask this question to people. A lot of times when you switch jobs, there's a moment where you think, oh my God, what was I doing? This is a crazy decision. I don't care what the job is. I feel like at some point you have that thought. First of all, have you ever had that thought or are you so confident it never even crosses your mind? Because every job I feel like at some point that I've had that's like a professional job, I've been like, holy hell, what have I gotten myself into here? When you went back to being a head coach, did that moment ever happen for you? Has it ever happened for you before in your coaching career? Um, yeah, you know, it, it probably did here. Um, probably two things. Probably, you know, the first team meeting when I went in there and, you know, used to these big places, Alabama, USC, Tennessee, you know, these great places with all these facilities and everything. And go in and, you know, the team's in there. You know, some of the chairs are broke. You know, the backs on the chairs are broken. The tape tables don't work on them and and i'm looking around like you know a lot of really small guys like small <laughs> small and that day i was kind of like gosh I, like you know how how long will, how long will this take you know because because it was just so foreign for me like one of our coaches said you know we were watching guys on film and, and recruits and i was like oh i wouldn't take that guy i wouldn't take that guy I'm like coach you need to adjust your lenses like, what do you mean? There's a coach that was familiar with the conference and this level. He's like, you got to adjust your lenses. Like, you're so, like, you've only been trained one way of evaluating players at the highest level. Like, you, you don't get those guys, you know, at this level. So you've got to, to look differently, adjust your lenses. And so I always remember him saying that. And went out for our first off-season workout and, you know, started the fourth quarter program, conditioning, all this stuff, running around. And, like, you know, guys can – couldn't even come close to finishing the, the workout program that we were used to everyone being able to finish. So um, I think that was kind of like, wow, like, all right, you know, how long will this take? Um, but, but it's just been, it's been really neat to see these kids just buy in. And, you know, I said it the other day, and I know coaches say this all the time. And I know you know that I don't just say things to, you know, to, you know, to try to say the right thing, but this has been the most fulfilling year of coaching by far, because I really feel like, you know, when you're young, you kind of like, you're, you're, you're kind of doing things for yourself. You know, your, your enjoyment of winning is really about, okay, hey, you know, can I get the next job? You know, can I, how fast can I move up? You know, what bowl game are we going to go to? And now it's really like, it's not that at all. Now it's like, I'm doing it for them. And I'm watching them, you know, celebrate in these locker rooms and sing the fight song like, you know, like they won the, like they won the Super Bowl. You know, that's what it's like every Saturday night. They're so excited because they haven't done it. You know, they just beat Marshall for the first time in the history of the school. You know, they beat Middle Tennessee for the first time in nine straight years. You know, they're bowl eligible, you know, um, you know, for, I don't know, for 10 years or something since they've been to a bowl. So it's been so neat just to see these kids be rewarded for the hard work that they put in. 
It's interesting. People who are hearing you say that are going to say, my God, this sounds like a mature Lane Kiffin. Um, and, and, and I'm curious for you. And look, I'm a young guy who's done a lot of crazy things over the years. I'm sure you have, too, in your career. How much different, yeah, over the years. How much different does it feel to you now coaching than it would have, for instance, when you were on the sideline with the Raiders? Like, if you went back in time now and Lane Kiffin, who is 31 years old or whatever the heck you were when you took over the Oakland Raiders in the NFL, saw Lane Kiffin today, like a decade later roughly, what, would, what do you think you would be most surprised about for the difference in the way that you behave as a coach and the way that you kind of go about your job? Like, what do you think would most shock – 31-year-old Lane Kiffin about the person you are today? Well, I think usually I've just always lived in the moment, and I've always been like, okay, just, you know, question comes up, whatever it is, think quick, react, and, and do it. And, you know, I think that probably just with anyone with age or, you know, more experience, you know, you slow down and you just you think completely different now, you know, and, and it kind of goes back to that, you know, selfish thing really. You know, and, and I reflected on it this week because I was doing some interview and they were asking some tough questions about, and I was going back in my head thinking, God, you know, it really was, you know, when you when you first start in a profession, you know, how fast can I, you know, how much money can I make? How fast can I, can I go? Can I be the, the, the youngest head coach ever? All these things. And then you just think completely different now. And, um, and it's just, it's, you're very different and you're in a very different place. And, and it's really, um, you know, it's like I would hope anybody would, you know, 10 years later in their profession or their marriage or their life or parenting, whatever, that you get better and, and, and you learn from mistakes and and you go and you, you take, all right, these are good things. These are bad things. All right. How can we get better? You know, and so you're just in a lot different place. If I had told you in August your team was going to be in first place in Conference USA coming up in mid-November, would you have believed me? I would have. I probably wouldn't have believed if you would have said, you know, the, the margin of victories in a lot of the games, you know, and, um, and you know, um, all the records and stuff, you know, being set on offense and, and those things. I probably probably wouldn't have known that would happen that fast. But I'm not surprised that that these kids are in first place, you know, because of the way that they worked. What makes your offense so successful? Um, I think it's really, again – you know, always learning, always growing. I think that we've we've combined two really, really tough things. You know, we have a system that goes, you know, as fast as anybody in the country. You know, the Baylor system that's done that for years and, you know, has success wherever it goes. And, and, and that's really what the majority of our system is. And then we've also combined, you know, kind of what I call, you know, problem plays or problem formations as far as like rocket motions and, and those things that we were doing in Alabama. And so now, you know, defensive coordinators, you know, or, you know, or head coaches when you talk to them before the game, so, wow, you know, this is, it's really hard to defend because nobody's really combined two things like this. You know, you're basically combining, you know, one system that is built off of, not off of speed, but our system for years, you know, USC and then Alabama was built off of problems, you know, that give defensive problems. And that's one of the experiences of sitting there for three years with, I think what I got to do, I sat in three years of meetings really long meetings with Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, and Jeremy Pruitt. And I just listened to them talk all the time about what they didn't like to play, what gave them problems each week and stuff. So you have that and you combine it with, you know, Kindle, Kindle system of, of warp speed or whatever you want to call it. You know, that that's, that's a problem, you know, for defenses. Do you think you guys have the best offensive system in college football right now? Oh, I don't know that. Um, you know, um, I'm just always trying to learn, and I'm, I get to learn from, 
Coach Browse, and you know, just two nights ago, you know, we were done with game plan. And I sat here and put on UCF, you know, you know, who's number one in the country in scoring. So, you know, to try to see if I can learn something from them. So, um, there's a lot of great systems out there, and um, a lot of people doing some really unique things in college football. You said you are. What I like about you, uh, Lane, is one, you just say exactly what you think, which is rare. Two, you're also a huge college football fan. Like, you're just a junkie for college football and football in general. You mentioned you watch UCF. I know you've got your bunker mentality where you're getting your team ready. But what else have you seen so far in college football? You mentioned Kirby Smart, who you worked with for several years. You mentioned, obviously, Nick Saban. Have you gotten a chance to watch those Georgia and Alabama teams play that much? A little bit. A little more Alabama, I think, just for whatever reason, with timing of games, you know, um, by when we play and they play, um, and a tiny bit of Georgia. Um, but, you know, it's uh, it doesn't surprise me at all. You know, Kirby, you know, took the Alabama system and went to a great place like Georgia and implemented it. And I'm sure he, you know, changed a little bit of his own ideas, um, you know, and um, he's doing a great job. Shoot, again, just learning and always, I just, I've been texting with him this week, you know, asking him things about his practice plan and structure and, you know, is he doing the things exactly like Coach Saban or, or is he changing some things and stuff, you know, just trying to learn from the people that are, that are doing the best in the country. Do you think Alabama and Georgia are the two best teams in the country? You know, I, I would not – this will surprise you, but I'm not an expert on that because, cause, you know, we do so much with our own team and playing and stuff. I don't get to watch it like you guys do and, and follow all that, you know. So I, I just, you know, see highlights or scores, so I would not be an expert in that. Um, but from what I've seen, you know, it sure seems like that. It, you know, to me it seems like college football is a little bit down at the top. You know, you don't have, you know, a lot of just – phenomenal teams that are that are playing great you know I don't know why it is I don't know if it has to do with so many juniors leave early but it doesn't seem like college football you know has you know 10 great teams to argue about who should be at the top you know so that's kind of I don't, I don't know why that's happened but maybe it's because all the good players are at Alabama <laughs> we're talking to Lane Kiffin uh Lane you said um something I thought was interesting about you had to adjust your your the way that you look at talent in terms of recruiting at FAU as opposed to being at Alabama or SC or Tennessee for that matter where you could go after maybe the best player who's on the film is that going to help you down the road in recruiting because now you're almost having to specialize in diamonds in the rough whereas in before you could just go find diamonds yeah, my my dad used to always say um, all the time. He's like, he would hire coaches and be at the NFL in Tampa, you know. And he hired Rod Marinelli and Mike Tomlin and and Joe Barry, all these guys, um, Raheem Morris. Almost all the guys he'd hire would be from college. And I was confused, like, why aren't you just hiring NFL guys? Because that's the highest level. And he's like, the best coaches aren't necessarily in the NFL. He's like, some of the best coaches you'll see will be at high schools when you go recruiting. And, or at smaller colleges because they have to develop players. In the NFL, you don't have to develop them. If they're not doing it, you just cut them and get new ones. Well, you're at a smaller smaller school. You've got to find players. You've got to develop them. You know, you can't just, okay, you know, move on, go transfer, and, you know, get a, get a bunch of, you know, five stars to come in. So I think that does, I think that does help you a lot as, as coaches. And um, I think it made sense. You know, why my dad was always like, I don't want to hire guys that have been in the NFL 15, 20 years, you know, that are just taking their seventh job in the NFL because they just rotate around, you know, go find guys that are great teachers and great evaluators. You, um, you know, it's kind of in, intriguing in that respect too. When you take over the FAU job, 
before you take over FAU, do you go watch some of their old tape to see what kind of talent they have, or do you go in and interview almost blind? I don't know what most coaches do, but is that something where you've done some research on the FAU talent beforehand and you think, okay, I see some parts I could work with, or is it just something where you interview with the guys who are in charge of FAU and you like them enough that without even spending much time looking at the talent, you take the job? No, you 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 do both. You hit on the two two things that you do for sure. You know, you look at as much as you can. You know, talk to um, you know maybe people in the conference, or um, I actually talked to to the last coach, Coach Partridge. You know, on the phone. So um, just to see where is the program. What you know is a young team, and this was a very very young team that returned a lot of good players um, from a team that struggled the year before, but you know had some highlights with some certain players. And then, you know, that's probably the second most important thing because you can recruit and change a program. But the first most most important thing is, you know, what is the structure? What, what is, you know, the president? You know, um, what is the idea? What is the plan? And so, you know, I interviewed for a couple jobs. And actually, on the day I interviewed for this job, I interviewed for another job that you would consider to be a bigger, better job. And I walked out of the meeting with FAU and, and said these guys get it. You know this president. You know Dr. Kelly. He was he'd been at Clemson for twenty some years, and he had a plan. And he was telling me their plan, which is abnormal. Usually the president's not even in the interview. You meet him after you get the job. But but he had a plan about okay. He knew what Dabo did at Clemson. How that changed changed the university. How that changed the attention on the university once they started winning. How that changed out of state applicants. I just was talking about him yesterday, and he said they're up this year already. You know, just from the attention on the football program. So, because he had a plan of what to do and was going to give you the things, you know, assistant coaches, you know, salary pool. That's a big deal. You know, you, your assistant coaches are the the lifeline of your program, and so you know, gave us the most in the conference, so we could go hire these coaches. You know, to come here to help develop this program. Talking to Lane Kiffin, head coach FAU, they're in first place in conference USA. Uh, you were mentioning college versus pro coaches, and i got to ask you because this has turned into – you'll probably have seen this on Twitter. Uh, John Gruden. Like, Tennessee fans are obsessed with whether John Gruden might come back and coach in college football. You know John Gruden a little bit. Obviously, he's had connections to your family over the years. Do you think John Gruden will ever coach again? And if he ever coaches again, do you think he'll coach in college football? Um, I, I do know Coach well, and um, actually – text with him some some things and some ideas of scheme and stuff or i'll send a video of something that i see or something send it to him because um he he is a genius when it comes to offense um and i don't mean to speak for him i would be shocked you know not he's never said this i'd be shocked that he would he would go coach college football you know he was a ga at tennessee whatever 20 30 years ago um and he's he loves the nfl you know, and you can see his passion, you know, when he, when you hear it on Monday Night Football. So um, I would not be surprised if, if he did coach in the NFL, you know, with the, with the right. It's just like talk about being more mature and, and getting older, you know, you know what you want. So I'm sure it would have to be a special place, you know, with the right um, ownership, the right amount of control so that he could do things his way. We're talking to Lane Kiffin. All right, I got to ask you this, too. So you've won us some money here. I love to gamble on college football. You're up seven. A lot of people had FAU minus six and a half. You also tweeted about this. At any point in time, when you like, so take me through the decision to take the safety there. So you're up seven. Uh, like you said, you hadn't beaten Marshall, and they had never beaten Marshall, I think, at FAU before. Uh, Marshall comes down and scores on like a fourth and 15 against you, I think. 
Um, but when you what happened in that play? What happened in your mind? Um, you know, those those are situations that you go over. You know, every um, Friday we go over all kinds of situations that you know, kind of once in a year or once in a lifetime situations, and one of them's take a safety there and buy as much time. You hold on it, so you know because they have to decline the penalty, so you can hold and it doesn't hurt you. So um, we were just mastering the situation. And so rat poison involved at all? <laughs> I don't know. Again, as I've, as I've said before, I don't. People think like I have this huge like marketing plan. I sit down every day you know, for an hour <laughs> with a team and figure out what I'm going to tweet. People just. I have buddies, friends, or, or people you know our GAs or something like that, and they like literally send me stuff and they get a kick out of when I retweet it. So somebody sends me something and I hashtag something and I send it out. It takes about ten seconds. Uh, Lane, good luck. I hope you cover against uh, Louisiana Tech this weekend. No pressure, but I gave you out as the pick. So if we get any more safeties like that, we're going to have to have major major consultations. Good stuff, my man. You're on a roll. I appreciate the time. All right, Clay. Thanks. Have a good weekend. You too. That's Lane Kiffin. His team plays against Louisiana Tech this weekend down in Ruston, Louisiana. I'm Clay Travis. Let's bring in my guy, Eddie Garcia. Find out what's shaking the world of sports. All right, Clay, Thursday night football saw the Seahawks beat the Cardinals in Arizona 22-16 in the NFC West battle. Russell Wilson, two touchdown passes for Seattle. Both went to tight end Jimmy Graham. Seahawks improved to 6-3 and three with the win, while the Arizona Cardinals dropped to 4-5 and five with that loss. Now, in the win for Seattle, they did suffer a big loss as star defensive back Richard Sherman suffered a ruptured Achilles tendon, and he is done for the rest of the season. News from the NFL, where an emergency injunction request by the NFL Players Association on behalf of Dallas Cowboys star running back Ezekiel Elliott was denied by the second U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals. That means Elliott's six-game suspension is back on, and he is ineligible to play Sunday against the Atlanta Falcons. Clay, a couple of quick scores from the NBA. Rockets over the Cavaliers, 117-113. Houston's 9-3, tied with the Warriors with the best record in the West. James Harden led him with a triple-double, 35 points, 11 rebounds, 13 assists for Cleveland. They still continue to struggle. They're 5-7 and seven on the year and have dropped six in the last eight games. And the Nuggets knock off the Thunder, 102-94 Oklahoma City, now 4-7 and seven on the season. Good deal. Uh, We are coming to you live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where it's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with Geico. Go to geico.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier as well. Dollar Shave Club has everything you need for your hair, face, skin, and shower. They have you covered from head to toe, and they deliver it to you just like they do their razors. Give the club a try today. Go to dollarshaveclub.com slash outkick. All right. I'm going to give you some money. Going to make you rich, including the blood bank guarantee. Tap the veins, boys and girls. It's time to get rich. 12 guaranteed gambling winners. Up next, final segment of the show, Friday edition. Who loves you? This guy. Three straight weeks of winning picks. Make it four, baby. We're going 12-0. and 0, The gambling picks up next on OutKick, the coverage. What does it mean when Geico says just 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance? It means you probably should have gone to Geico.com 15 minutes ago. All right, it's Friday. What do Who loves you? This guy. What do I do to prove that I love you? Give you gambling picks that are going to win. Cue the music, boys. Guess who's back? It's time. A.K.A. Mr. Make It Rain on the move. For Clay Travis to make us rich. I'm rich. Including the legendary, famous, well-known talk of the town, most celebrated. I'd buy that for a dollar. Blood Bank Guarantee. Now, I'm not the kind of guy who likes to brag, toot his own horn, draw attention to himself. So it is with the utmost 
<laughs> it is with the utmost degree of humbleness that I point out that we now have three straight weeks of winning picks here, and it's going to get better because we're going 12-0 and this weekend. Get your paper and your pen. Start to write. Don't tweet me after I give you out these picks and say, hey, can you tell them all to me again? I was driving. If you want them, go to outkick.com. O-U-T-K-I-C-K. You can scroll down. They're all written there. But a lot of you don't read. A lot of you don't, don't read, sadly. So I can give them to you as you listen. Michigan State's going on the road at Ohio State. It's an interesting little factoid for you. Mark D'Antonio, he's beaten Jim Harbaugh and James Franklin this year. And he's 3-3 three and three in his last six games against Ohio State. All of them decided by 12 or fewer points, including... The past two games being decided by scores of 17-14 and 17-16. Frankly, I don't understand this line at all. It has ballooned all the way out to Ohio State minus 17. I'm telling you, Michigan State covers this one with ease on the road in the shoe. FAU, you just heard him. Lane Kiffin on with us at Louisiana Tech. He's going to make up for killing us on the cover last weekend with that safety late. Lane Kiffin and FAU gets the cover at Louisiana Tech. Georgia at Auburn. I'm telling you, Georgia's going to win this one by a field goal or more. The line right around Georgia minus two or minus two and a half. I think Kirby Smart and the Bulldogs get it done. And this is going to eliminate Auburn from any contention in the SEC West and mean that that game against Alabama is solely for state pride. Here's an interesting one. Rutgers on the road at Penn State. Now, this to me is kind of intriguing because... Everybody out there is going to be on Penn State, and this line is around 30 now. And I think a big reason why is because nobody wants to actually say I'm on Rutgers. Because if Rutgers loses and doesn't cover, then all your buddies are going to be like, yeah, of course you lost. You bet on Rutgers instead of Penn State, you idiot. But sometimes there is value in brands that have no value in the public arena. Rutgers is 7-2 and two against the number this year because nobody wants to bet on them. I bet on them against Washington, covered. I bet on them against Michigan, covered. And I'm telling you, you should bet on them here in this game against Penn State. Tennessee at Mizzou. All right, can you hear this? Can you hear that? That's me tapping my vein. I'm not sure. We need to tap in the vein sound. That's what we need to add for, uh, for the, uh, the soundtrack here. The blood bank guarantee. If you're not familiar with what the blood bank is, The blood bank guarantee is, even if you have no money, you go down to the blood bank and you sell your platelets. You take that money and you put it directly on this game. I gave it out to you starting at 10. It's now all the way out to Mizzou minus 12 and a half. Mizzou is going to blow out Tennessee. We don't even know who the Tennessee quarterback is going to be. It's going to be probably end up being a true freshman who has never started a game before in his life. I think that Jared Garantano is not going to be healthy enough to go. Tennessee can't score. And Mizzou and Drew Locke are the best offensive combo there between quarterback and offensive skill position talent that you don't know. Mizzou's going to score 35. Tennessee can't score more than 14. Easy cover. Notre Dame at Miami. I'm on the Fighting Irish. I think Notre Dame goes down, takes control with that offensive line and that run game late in this game, wins by a touchdown or more. Miami's perfect season goes up in flames. Florida at South Carolina. Love the under here. Neither one of these teams is going to be able to score. This line opens South Carolina minus nine, way too high. But neither team is going to be able to score. It's going to be ugly. Here's a stat for you. The Florida Gators haven't scored more than 17 points in a game since September. That is, they have scored 16, 17, 7, and 16 
in their past four SEC games and averaging just 14 points a game. I love the under here. Texas Tech at Baylor. Last week, I gave you the Texas and the Oklahoma game. Uh, Sorry, the Oklahoma and the Oklahoma State game. I said, just put your feet up, kick back. Don't even worry about the outcome of this game. We hit the over in the first half. That's happening close to it again in Texas Tech, Baylor. TCU, Oklahoma. I love Oklahoma under a touchdown. Get this one at six and a half or less, uh, and you are in great shape. Kentucky at Vandy, the over 52 and a half. And double play here, Arkansas at LSU. LSU minus 16 and a half, the over 56. Now, you can cut the music off here. I sound like a rapper. Cut the music off. Turn the music down. I like to give you out a parlay, too. People say don't bet parlays. I love betting parlays. Now, I also always bet the underlying game itself as well. So if I go 2-1 and one or 3-1 and one in a four-game parlay, I don't want to feel like I got screwed here. But with your fun money, I love this parlay three-gamer. SEC parlay. If you want to make it a four-gamer, I'll give you a four-gamer to add on to it. But a three-gamer that I love. I love Missouri to cover. Okay? I love Missouri to cover against Tennessee. I like Florida and South Carolina to go under. I love Vanderbilt and Kentucky to go over. And if you want one more to make it a four-gamer, I like the over in LSU-Arkansas. All right, there you go. You're going to get rich. All those picks, I'm telling you, especially the parlay. When you get rich, here's what I'd ask you to do. Just be nice to me. Just come on Twitter, at Clay Travis, when the parlay hits, just come on Twitter, at Clay Travis, and they say, thank you, Santa Clay, because I do it for the people. Just in time for the holiday season, everybody's got a lot more money to spend than you're going to expect to spend. My wife came to me the other day. She said, hey, we got to buy presents for all these people. I said, what are you talking about? How is it that every single year at Christmas, my family ends up costing me so much more, more money than I ever anticipated? She said, oh, also, going to take the boys to learn how to ski over holidays while you're here doing the radio show. I said, wait a minute. Skiing? She said, yeah, it's time for them to learn how to ski. Money just right out the window. Just money right out the window. It's what happens when you're a dad. Nobody ever comes to you and gives you money when you're a dad, right? Everybody knows what I'm talking about here. Dad's out there driving into work. People just take money from you all the time. Now, I don't remember the last time somebody just came in. No member of my family has ever come up to me and said, hey, guess what? I got a couple of extra thousand dollars that I didn't think I was going to have. Just going to put it into the kitty here for the family. Nope. All people do is take money from dad. Dad, riding around 20-year-old jeans, got tennis shoes, hadn't bought new tennis shoes in 15 years, gets the crappiest car, got T-shirts left over from when he was still in high school. People just take money right out of dad's wallet. That's what dad does. Dad's the bank. It's going to happen to you, too. That's why I love the parlay. So just thank me. Early Santa present. I'm telling you, I'm out looking for looking out for you here. We're going with a fourth straight week of winners. All do I do it for the people and for the dads especially. Because the dads are out there just getting their wallets picked every morning. You know what happened to me the other day? I went out to buy something. I don't use cash that often. Only people who get cash from me are, are babysitters and strippers. Only people who still get paid in cash, babysitters and strippers. It's the truth. I went out to go buy something pull out my wallet, there's no money in it at all. Come back home, I said to my wife, hey, you took all the money out of my wallet. She said, yeah, I needed some money. I said, if you take every dollar out of your husband's wallet, you have at least an obligation to tell him, 
hey, I took all your money. I'm trying to pay to park. No money. No money at all. No money in my wallet. What do you do? It's what happens to dads. Open up that wallet. It's all gone. Kids, wife, everybody just takes money. Get rich on the blood bank guarantee. I hope you guys have a fantastic weekend. Thanks to everybody out there, veterans. Uh, also, uh, anniversary, uh, happy birthday to the Marine Corps. Have a spectacular Friday. Get rich on the picks. And thank you guys for hanging out with us all week here on Outkick the Coverage. We'll be back Monday. Santa Clay's coming to town, baby, with these picks. Thank you from Outkick the Coverage. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. You know, in today's world, it seems the best treatment is reserved only for a few. Well, Discover wants to change that by making everyone feel special. That's why with your Discover card, you have access to 24-7 live customer service as well as $0 fraud liability, which means you're never held responsible for unauthorized purchases. Finally, no matter who you are or where you are in life, you'll feel special with Discover. Learn more at discover.com slash credit card. Limitations apply. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Now playing only in theaters. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now.